you're listening to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Rydell. Each week, I'll bring you conversations with some of the most passionate, hardworking, and limitless thinkers on this earth who have a story to share, a brand that inspires, or a fire inside of them to live life on their own terms. The intention behind each episode is simple. And that's to include you in these conversations so that you can learn, apply, and grow in your own life and in your business. If I can share one quick secret with you before we begin, it's that we all have a little bit of visionary inside of us. But perhaps somewhere along the line, someone told you to play small, to play safe, and that led you to live an ordinary life. Tuning into Visionary Life will help you dust off the limiting beliefs you carry around so that you can begin to create your own most visionary life. It's in you. It's in all of us. Let's dive in. Welcome back, visionaries. This week, we have a recharged episode for you because we're in the process of recording season seven. So for this week, we have the recharged episode with Mark LaFleur, who is the co-founder of True Local, a subscription service that delivers high quality frozen meats to your doorstep. I decided to recharge this episode because just a few weeks ago, True Local was acquired by a company called Emerge for over $16 million. What a milestone. Here's a comment from Newswire made by the founder and CEO of Emerge. In True Local, we have acquired a profitable market leader in the lucrative food tech space that happens to be one of the fastest growing companies in Canada. So rest assured, the founding team, as well as Mark, seem to be staying in place. So not so much will shift from our outsider's perspective, but you know what? Dave and I have truly loved being a subscriber of True Local over the last three years. We get a box every six weeks, and we are continually blown away by the quality and the customer service. So I recharged this episode to say congrats to Mark and to the True Local team. You guys deserve all the success, and I truly mean it. So let's get into this chat recorded back in April of 2020, just at the start of the pandemic, with Mark LaFleur. Mark, welcome to the Visionary Life Podcast. As I mentioned before we hit record, I've been using and loving True Local for almost three years now, but I know that not all of our listeners have had the same privilege. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what True Local is? Yeah, definitely. Well, Kelsey, thanks a lot for having me. We were just talking about this, but you're definitely a, an OG customer of ours from the early days. So you've seen the transition, but uh, yeah, True Local in a nutshell, we started about four years ago and the whole idea was there was a big problem where people were looking for more options when it came to value added meat products. So for True Local, when we talk about value added, we're talking about things like 100% grass fed, grass finished. We're talking about things like RWA, so raised without antibiotics. Um, we're talking about things like pasture raised. And then on top of all that, we have the umbrella of trying to focus on local. So there was a big problem where there wasn't that many options or if there were options available, there wasn't that much transparency. So we figured why not take best practices from other industries that are really focusing on food. Um, you look at the meal kits and you look at meal prep and those were blossoming, but nobody was really focusing on the problem of meat. So we figured, you know what, might as well tackle that. Um, so we built an online website. Um, the business model is a subscription box. So it's nothing that's new or groundbreaking in that sense. But what we've done, I like to think is that we've kind of bring it, uh, brought it to a new standard. 
So people can go online. Um, it's really simple. You know, obviously we have two prices, uh, just to keep it as simple as possible. There's a regular size box and a small box. So you can get a regular size box for 249 and that'll feed on average two people for about a month. But the nice thing is you can choose how often you want it delivered, right? So that's kind of how, you know, if you're a family of six, well, obviously you're probably gonna get the box delivered more often. But the cool thing is that you can customize your box with whatever products you want. So, you know, when we started back in the day, when you probably built your first box, you might've had like 20 or 30 products, but now we have over a hundred. Wow. So everything from beef, chicken, pork, fish, lamb, buffalo, uh, you know, out in the Western provinces, we've got boar, boar bacon, you know, uh, wild caught fish, fish being the only thing that we have that's not local to the province. For obvious reasons, we focused on wild caught. So um, that's, that's pretty much true local in a nutshell. Amazing. Um, and I would highly suggest everybody go check out those options on your website. I love that you say you kept it simple too. There's two options because so often when you land on a website of a new company or a subscription service you've never used before, if there are too many options, people just click away because they're overwhelmed, right? So you kept it so simple in that regard. And I think that's such a good lesson uh, right off the top of this episode. But why don't we zoom the lens back a little bit Meat has been in your career path for quite a while. You are actually doing something kind of similar to true, what True Local does, but a bit different. So why don't you take us back to the industry you were working in or the career path before you launched True Local? Yeah. So saying meat's been in my career path for a while, I think that's kind of what I stumbled into. Definitely wasn't the game plan on the outset. I think okay. uh, like a lot of founders that I know, um, you know, I'm an opportunistic guy and we saw a lot of opportunity in this space and moved in that direction. But, you know, my story starts when I got to university, my degrees in health. So at the University of Waterloo, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. There was no point. I was just at school because, you know what, you know, Waterloo's like a great school and health is like a great degree, but I had no, you know, master plans. I think in first year, I wanted to be a dentist. And after I got my first year marks back, we scrapped that idea real quick. <laughs> um, you know, and as I was going through, uh, I kind of got the business bug, which is a, another story in itself. But, you know, I'd gone through a, a couple of different startups. So, you know, in, in second year, really started getting into um, the, the elements of what it's like to start a business and understanding it, everything from um, operations and execution to brand strategy, paid advertising, um, PR, um, just management in general, um, which I think is one of the biggest parts. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to start uh, an app in 2012. And then we did a sharing economy platform, I think it was in 2014. But during that time, when I was in fourth year, I think I ended up getting a job uh, doing door to door meat sales. And the way that that started was one of my roommates, he was a little older than we were. And he would always just go off to work every day. And you know, we were like I said, I think we we're in third year and you know, your life, when you're in third year, you're living day to day, right? If not hour to hour, you're not really thinking too far ahead. And that's me, at least I know there's a lot of people here that we're doing way better in school than I was um, and had everything figured out. But mm -hmm. for us, it was, you know, there was not really any plans. We had our, our job that worked four jobs in university. Um, and, uh, you know, we were just trying to plan out the week. And so when he would leave every day to go to work, it was just a different life. We didn't, we were still in school. He was working and every day he would come home and we would just not talk about what he was doing or where he was going. Cause we were just like, you know, what are we doing tonight? Yeah. Anyway, one day we decided to ask him, we're like, Hey, what do you do? And where are you, where are you working? And he's like, Oh, I work at this company that sells meat door to door. And at the time, I think it finally kind of started hitting me. So it probably was fourth year when I was like, okay, what am I doing after all this is done? Um, I realized that I didn't want to go into the medical field. Um, I wasn't cut out for it. You know, I let uh, my peers take care of that stuff. But yeah. for me, I started trying to kind of figure out what we wanted to do. And he's like, you know what? You talk really fast. Why don't you try doing sales? 
So I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. And I remember walking into the office one day and they kind of gave me the lowdown and I had no background in meat whatsoever. Like I was definitely like a dollar 99 ground beef kind of guy and yeah. chicken nuggets. And, you know, I lived off that and uh, ended up getting in there. And, you know, I, I, you know, I guess I ended up being pretty good at it. So I did that for about a year part time while in school. And then once I graduated, I ended up being one of the number one uh, sales reps in the company and I was by far the youngest. So they gave me an opportunity to go move to London to open up my own branch. Um, so did that for another three years. And then it was during that time that I realized that if I wanted to be successful as a business owner, I needed to quit my job because the, the previous two startups I was working with um, or that we started, uh, you know, they both got a lot of traction, but eventually fizzled out. So I started looking at myself saying, why aren't these working? And it was, you know, kind of hit me in the face saying, well, I'm doing these as a hobby or a pastime. I never actually took the leap to quit my job. Mm -hmm. So if I decided that I was going to quit my job, I felt like I needed to do something that I felt I was going to have the most success in. So I had done two previous startups with Tell. I learned a lot about um, brand strategy. I learned a lot about uh, partners, you know, the ins and outs of incorporating a business and um, just starting up with um, just, just pretty much the, the earliest level of a business that you can. So I learned that. And then when I got to the second time I started the startup, uh, Dash Task, by that time I had all that figured out. So we figured out, you know, who do you want to partner with? What skill sets do they need? Incorporating a business, all the basics. But then we actually moved into the financing side of things. So started pitching VCs. So I learned that side of things. And then project management. So working one-on-one -on -one with a developer, because that's a huge thing that people don't really realize. And I think people that have done it before understand the whole developer side thing. But developers speak a different language, literally. Mm -hmm. And even if you're speaking to a developer who can kind of speak the same language, they still just work differently. And then you really need to learn how to work well as a developer and translate things. You know, for us, it's easy to say, okay, I want this to do that. But for a developer, you know, their priorities are different and you need to be able to, to distill that into a way that they understand and then distill it back to the rest of the team. So I learned that doing that project. Um, and then when it came time to quit my job, I had this, this weird skill set in meat because I was doing, you know, door-to-door -door meat sales for a year, then managing a team that did door-to-door -door meat sales for three years. But I also had a bit of a background in the tech space from the previous two. So I figured, you know what, if there's going to be a chance to succeed, this is going to be it. So that's how True Local was born. And True Local initially was True Local, Live Local, Eat Natural. So really, there, there wasn't as much meaning or as much story behind it. I knew that it had to be a really strong brand. I knew it had to be something people could get behind. But really, we were just trying to compete with the door-to-door -door meat companies and saying that, hey, this is a better way to shop for your meat online. So mm -hmm. that's where it started. But then a year into it, that's when things changed um, significantly. So pretty much um, we started focusing more uh, a year after. It wasn't so much about, oh, we sell meat online. It was, we want to be the best company in the world at connecting you to the source. So finding the transparency, interviewing the farmers, putting the information online, giving as much information and choice as possible to the consumer. And that's uh, where we stand today. So that's kind of how everything, uh, mm -hmm. everything from, you know, going to the bar every weekend at university all the way through to where we're at today uh, unfolded in a short version of the story. Oh, how things evolve in our lifetime as we grow up. Well, I really like that you shared that full story because I think a lot of people will look at True Local where it is today and say, oh, he must have just been, you know, born with that idea. And it's <laughs> always just come to him that he knew he wanted to have a meat subscription business. But it sounds like you truly were a walking, talking sponge in the early phase of your career. And 
what you are doing today is simply a culmination of everything that you were learning and practicing and soaking in, in those other years where you were working for other people and navigating the startup space and, and taking on jobs to make money to, you know, try your hand at sales. So it's not like you just magically arrived at this. It's a lot of little steps that brought you to a place where you're like, how can I, you know, take all the knowledge inside my head, the passions that I have, the skill set, and kind of create like this beautiful new business that merges all of that. So I think that that's really cool that that's exactly what you did. And so I find it interesting that you kind of quit and went all in. So what is your advice for people who have that business idea and they know they're going to be successful with it, but they kind of hang on to their job and then do their side project just that on the side? Like, is there a right way to go about it? It sounds like you knew you had to go all in in order to make it work. How did you know that was the right decision? Yeah, I think the biggest thing to understand uh, is that like, I'm not special at all. Like I said, I, you know, most people around me were significantly smarter than I was. They had more experience than I did. They were better funded than I was. Like when I went to university, I didn't know anything about, I didn't know business was a thing. You know, yeah. I always thought that you had to go follow some sort of skilled profession, whether it be, be a doctor or be an engineer or something like that. So I just self-taught everything by going through the experiences. I just one day woke up and decided that I was really hungry. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm absolutely a financially motivated guy, you know, and I feel mm -hmm. like a lot of people nowadays shun that and they're like, well, you have to have more than that. And yeah, of course, there's a lot more to life than that. But at the end of the day, something's got to motivate you and, you know, it's a, a strong motivator. So I woke up and started being hungry for that financial freedom and that financial success. And it started driving me towards realizing that if I wanted to get that goal, business is a good way to do it. So because that was my biggest goal at the time, I just, I'm definitely an, an all or nothing kind of guy. And I think that's a, a trait that if you're wondering if you're an entrepreneur, wondering if you're a founder or any of that type of stuff, you don't have to know business. Like you don't have to read every single book. You don't have to have funding, but you got to be hungry and you've got to be an all or nothing type person. So that kind of leads into the question about, you know, when do you need to figure out quitting your job? That's a hard one. That's a super, super hard one because everyone's got to write their own story. Yeah. Right. And some people have a higher risk tolerance than others. If you knew me and you talk to anybody who knows me, I have a very high risk tolerance, mm. uh, probably to a fault. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've had uh, everything from, you know, when, when you're a kid in university and you're going to do OSAP papers and stuff like that and talking to the bank account people. And, you know, I, we were back with RBC and she always used to say, she's like, yeah, you're either going to go 100% bankrupt or you're going to be super rich. And I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, so for me, it wasn't really a hard decision. Like to me, for me to quit my job, it was really easy. And the biggest thing that I always try to tell people is that this is, this is a hard one. I'll bring it up sometimes, but you know, I was making $200,000 at 22 at the last job that I was working at. So the thing that I always try to tell people is that people are scared to leave a $60,000 a year job to follow their dreams. That's hard. And the guy who actually convinced me and it wasn't, it was, sorry, not convinced, but really put it in my head that I needed to quit to do what I needed to do was I went to this networking event and in no way, shape or form was I, should I have been at this event? I wasn't qualified. It was called go abundance. And it was this event where you had to like make a million dollars a year, have a $5 million net worth, neither of which am I anywhere near, but they're like, no, you're really young. You're doing some cool stuff. Why don't you come and just kind of see what the, you know, see what, see what that side is like. And it was fascinating uh, to say the least. It was only 30 guys and uh, everyone just sitting around the table, wheeling and dealing. I saw the coolest things happening and I was so young. I'd never seen that before. But anyway, the, one of the, the guys that ran the event, his name's David Osborne, he knew what I was doing and he knew what I was making and knew what I wanted to do. And he, he sat me down and he was like, you know, when are you going to start making some real money? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm 22. Like, I'm, you know, I'm doing pretty good. He's like, yeah, you're right. He's like, nothing to knock at. But he's like, 
that number is a ball and chain. He's like, you're the type of guy that wants more than that. And he's like, if you get complacent right now at that number, you know, 23 is going to hit 24, 25, 26, 27. And now you're going to be stuck at that. Right. So I always, I looked at that and it really kind of, it really resonated with me. Right. So I always tell people, I'm like, look, you know, if, if you get stuck in that sense of, you know, what am I going to do better? What's going to happen? I'm scared. It's hard. You know, people are scared leaving a $60,000 a year job to start a business. So I always say that, you know, you got to look at your own risk tolerance. I'm a huge go all in. Now, if I was talking to someone, that's for me. Like if I look in the mirror and I tell me what I want to do, that works for me. If I was trying to give advice to somebody, I would say this, you know, do what you can while you can, while you're still working your job. Once you can start offsetting your salary, that's a good time to quit. But the thing there is that do you have the hustle, right? Because if you want to do that, that means that as soon as you're done your day job at night, that's starting to work on the startup, right? And that means weekends, you have to work on the startup. So if you're the type of person who's genuinely cautious, but you're hungry, the, the formula is easy. Do your day job so you can pay the bills, work on your startup every single other hour until you get to a point where you're making more money to quit. But if you're the type of person that's you know a little lazy and you keep giving excuses as to why you're not doing something, then honestly, I probably would say something. You probably need to quit your job because if you can't separate your hours, and find the hours to work on your startup, well, then you need to just cut out the other things that are taking up your hours. So like I said, it depends on the person. Mm -hmm. Well, and I like that you said go all in because I think there is definitely the potential to go all in on your side hustle while you're working full time. There's also the potential to just say all in for me has to mean I quit my job. And um, I love that duo of words all in just because uh, it's something I ask myself, like anything I say yes to or give my time to, I always say, am I all in? Like, am I just going to show up at this workshop and deliver a half-assed job? If so, then it's a no. But if you are ready to commit to your business and ready to see it grow and scale, then be all in and just follow that through and um, have that mentality that nothing can derail you at that point. Um, For sure. Speaking of derailing you, I'm wondering, were there any challenges in the early days of getting True Local started that almost derailed you as a founder? Honestly, I would say every day something like that comes up. Uh, and I think any founder that you talk to will say the same thing. You know, um, in that first year of starting a business, like it really is resilience. It's just never giving up. I think there's one thing that when you talk to really successful founders or CEOs or whoever it is, they're kind of uh, like really stubborn, you know, so things that would stop most other people for obvious reasons, whether it be you made a horrible decision, whether the market changed, whether things that you're doing just aren't working, you know, we're very optimistic. So we look at it, we're like, okay, no, 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 we'll just try it this way. And okay, no, 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 we'll try it this way. Right. And we'll just keep on going like failure really isn't an option. And that's one of the things that, you know, if you quit your job, you get that mentality. If you're the type of person that's fueled by do or die, and quitting your job is a great way to do it. So for me, when I quit my job, there was never an option of failure. Like, you know, there's a lot of days I wanted to quit, like genuinely I had to look in the mirror and say, why am I doing this? This is dumb. This isn't going to work. Um, but it, it was always just me kind of complaining to myself, like venting to myself. Cause I knew I could never quit. I, I had to, I did this, right? Like I put my name on this. This was something that I promised to myself I was going to do. And there was never a chance I was going to give up, but yeah, there was a lot of things, you know, in the early days, uh, money's tight, obviously. 
it doesn't take a lot to derail you. Mm -hmm. We did, um, and I'm not, I'm definitely the jump off the cliff and build a plane on the way down kind of guy. Luckily, I've finally surrounded myself with an amazing team who are the ones who are like, let's put the blueprints of the plane and price out the plane and then figure out the plane works and then we'll jump off the cliff. So we kind of offset that way. But in the early days, you know, we bought boxes with, you know, probably half the money we had to start the business and they're the wrong size boxes. Just like brutal, brutal, brutal things. Because you're excited. (laughs) Exactly, for sure. And I think that these are the failures and the the issues that you have to go through as a founder just to kind of get to, if you want to be in year four and doing some big things, you know, now, you know, I know what to watch out for in scenarios like that. But yeah, we had, we had tons of issues, you know, like the, we had uh, issues with the company I used to work for, you know, they were obviously really upset about what we were doing. Um, We had issues with money, you know, purchasing product. We had issues with sales. We just weren't getting sales in the early days. We had issues with gyms not wanting to partner with us because they didn't know us. We had issues with suppliers. We had all these, these issues that came up that we were able to push through. So mm-hmm. um, I think as a founder, you really, really, really need to understand that in the early days, especially if you're not funded, if you're not a VC funded firm, you're going to face a lot of, a lot of challenges. I can't even begin to explain Starting a business is hard, especially starting a business in Canada, especially starting a business in Ontario. You got to understand that for a year, you better deal with the no's and the failures and the rejections and the, the late bills and the, just all that type of stuff. So mm-hmm. I always tell people, if you start off and you have one bad week, which leads into one bad month, which leads into one bad quarter, I think the best piece of advice you could have is understand that everybody else is going through the same stuff. Yeah. So don't give up and don't think it's just you. It's trust me, everybody's going through that. Mm -hmm. So speaking of not giving up and and getting those first few critical sales in the early days to keep you motivated, I'm wondering when you think back to your marketing efforts in maybe those first few months of business, what do you attribute your first 50 to 100 sales to? Like, is there a specific marketing effort that worked really well? Was it partnerships, building an email database? Were you on social? Because I know so many people are in that early stage and they just don't know the world of marketing and they're confused mm-hmm. in where to begin. So for what we do, we sell a weird product, right? Like, don't forget yeah. that. So we do a subscription box model. Obviously, you can pause, skip any time. There's no commitments, but it's something that people always think about as a recurring price and it's an expensive price in terms of like just a high ticket price item, right? 249. So, you know, obviously we rely heavily on digital marketing. We do heavily on core sales, which is partnerships and all that type of stuff. But, um, a lot of other businesses can thrive on one or two channels. They can thrive on just digital. They can thrive with having um, a really strong funnel built out where they're, you know, driving traffic through things like Facebook and then converting through email, things like that. But for us, honestly, I can't stress this enough. And I think this does translate to a lot of it. It was just the relationships we were building with our customers. Yeah. Honest to God, because our brand is what got us. Um, honestly, our brand is what got us the sales. And the reason our brand ended up doing so well is because people got behind it and people got behind it because we built the relationship with those people. Mm-hmm. So I think there's no, there's no secret to it. Um, having those one-on-one relationships with everybody that you meet, everybody from uh, any suppliers that you meet to the customers that you meet to the, um, to the, uh, just anything, any, anything you do, if you build those relationships and then be able to get behind your brand, that's where it's at. And I think that with true local, because we were doing something good at the time and something unique and, and it was something that, uh, people weren't really, I, I can guarantee I look back on it now. People weren't focusing on local back in the day on uh, when it came mm-hmm. to me, you know, people were yeah. focusing on the claims. People wanted antibiotic free. They wanted organic, you know, no one was looking at, Hey, you know, we can get food from the province delivered to people within the province. Why don't we just do that? So that was something that I think people could really get behind and it's evolved into so much more now. And and our customers are still a huge part of that and building the brand. So I love that. And 
when I teach uh, workshops all about building a brand that stands out, I always say that you have to be talkable or shareable in some way and having amazing relationships makes you talkable, right? Because if I were to meet you and become a customer and I had the best experience ever, I'm literally going to tell everybody who walks through my kitchen, everybody who, I don't know, my neighbors who see the door or the box on my doorstep, like the ripple effect just keeps going and going. If I, as a customer or as your supplier, have an amazing shareable moment from True Local. So I think that's really, really cool. Um, you had a chance to share your pitch on Dragon's Den a couple of years ago. I just want to know, because I know many listeners are fans of Dragon's Den and Shark's Tank. How was your experience in the den? Yeah, it was super interesting. Um, so Dragon's Den is awesome. Uh, we, we've raised money for other businesses and we had raised money prior to going on to Dragon's Den. So it wasn't our first time doing pitching. Um, yeah. And, you know, if anybody knows about raising money, you've probably done a hundred different pitches. So the difference with Dragon's Den, though, is it's on national television. And trust me, they're a lot happier watching you fail on TV than not because it makes really good TV, right? So I think it added a different level of uh, pressure just in terms of, okay, look, you know, people, people at the time knew me and I would definitely talk the talk. I'm like, Hey, you know, this is where I want to be in my life. And this is what I'm going to do. And I wake up early and I work hard, all this type of stuff. And I was like, man, if I go on there and I bomb this, I'm like, oh, like, this is just, like, I got it. We got to make sure that we knock this out of the park. So Dragon's Den was an amazing experience. I actually recommend that anybody at all who has a business go on Dragon's Den and don't go for the money um, on Dragon's Den, go for the opportunity, go for the personal development and go for obviously the exposure, right? We were selling meat online in the mail. That was weird back in the yeah. day. You know, meal kits were around and they pioneered this entire thing. But with meal kits, people don't think just about meat. When it's just meat, people are weirded out. You know, there's yeah. a whole bunch of different questions and a whole bunch of different expectations. So going on Dragon's Den and getting four offers um, really solidifies the credibility. And that did help us a lot across the board. And now everyone knows, you know, we're the Dragon's Den company. And ever since Dragon's Den, of course, you've got um, little pop-ups that try to do the same thing and try to compete in that realm. But so being able to go on something like Dragon's Den, especially if you're one of the first guys coming out doing it, will really make a huge difference in terms of that credibility. And once again, building that brand even more. So the experience is amazing. Be prepared. Yeah. Um, like I said, this is, this is not only, it's not the money, it's the exposure. It's the opportunity for your business, but it's also your personal brand. And it's also, you know, do you want to go up there and, and, and uh, exude confidence in your business? Do you want to go in there and get, you know, seasoned business vets to validate your model on national television so you don't have to keep validating it half as much? Or do you want to go up there and, you know, break down, start crying and get roasted by the dragons? You know, it's mm -hmm. one of the two things. I, to me, that's a life or death question. So, you know, we prepared hard. Um, we knew everything we needed to know. And that's the biggest piece of advice I can give people is do it. You absolutely should do it. It's a rite of passage for business in Canada. Once again, just as a, uh, as a, as um, a personal development and just a way to see where you're at. And then on top of that, um, uh, yeah, like pretty much, I think everybody in Canada should do it. It's just a great opportunity for people. Awesome. So it sounds like you guys really did prepare hard for that moment of glory, but we're actually going through something right now. We're recording this on April 3rd that none of us could have been prepared for. So it is the time of the collective global experience of COVID-19. Um, and because we're recording this and we had planned to record this way before this had heightened and gotten so critical and detrimental to our world. I just want to know from your experience, how have the last two weeks been for True Local? Has this pandemic changed anything for you guys and your business? 
Definitely. And seeing as we're shouting out April 3rd, I got to give a shout out to my mom because it's her birthday today. So Aww, happy birthday, happy mom. Birthday, mom. I, know she'll, I know she'll be the first person to listen to this. <laughs> so awesome. Um, so yeah, kind of switching gears completely there. Um, yeah, COVID-19, you know, obviously we're living in a moment in history right now. Like this is something that's going to go down in the history books. We've never experienced anything like this in our lifetime. And the ripple effect on this is going to be, you know, two years at minimum. You know, if you talk about the pandemic, and these are my personal thoughts on it, you know, not looking to of start course. a huge debate here on it. Yep. But uh, the way that True Local positions it and the way that we position ourselves is that, you know, things like social distancing, things like staying at home, things like business closures, uh, you know, these are going to last, you know, till the end of the year, give or take, you know. And then on top of that, there's a whole phase where nothing's really going to move until a vaccine comes out. And they're talking about 12 to 18 months. And how even if that were to be the case, it'd be one of the fastest vaccines ever rushed to market, right? So you got to look at it until we have a, a cure or a vaccine, they're not going to really loosen up on what we have on the go. So it's a really crazy time. Um, and then on top of that, there's the recession, right? So people, you know, we're, we're absolutely heading into a recession, unemployment's through the roof. So it's a really, really scary time. So those are kind of the phases of what's going on. Um, I can't stress this enough. And I always have to highlight this, that I, I truly feel like we're blessed. I think that True Local is blessed. I think that all of our team is blessed. And I think that it's so fortunate that we're able to be on uh, you know the side of it where we get to keep operating you know not only because I'm so happy to be able to keep my team employed but also the suppliers and the farmers and the butchers that we deal with right um, a lot of these people uh, the farmers were either at the farmers markets which are now closed or the butchers that we deal with also did food service for restaurants and they've lost a lot of business that way so true local being able to operate as an essential service delivering food to Canadian families is it's a, it's a blessing to be honest so anyway of course as you would expect we've seen a massive spike in business you know the mm -hmm. side the business has doubled in the past two weeks and it's given us the opportunity to hire even more so of course we've been looking to hire people that have been recently laid off mm -hmm. um and that's pretty much where we're at we're working closely with our suppliers the nice thing about true locals everything's local right so we're not getting impacted by imports we're not getting impacted by um, uh, just all the different things that are happening when it comes to import, export, international trade. And there's also the, the credibility that people are having right now, um, of just being able to know where their food's coming from. Mm -hmm. So it's been, it's been a world one for the past two weeks. And right now we're adjusting to the, you know, I guess the new phrases, the new normal. Um, yeah. and yeah, we're, we're rocking and rolling, you know, we still got boxes going out the door to customers. Um, we've actually been onboarding even more suppliers and even more farmers right now to keep up with demand. So it's been a very, very interesting time. Yeah, absolutely. And surely you felt this, that as a leader and as a founder, you've had to show up and, and really reposition and um, be a light for your team, I'm sure. And I know that comes with a lot of challenges as you're dealing with the emotions of what's going on too. So just kudos to you for staying strong and for uh, being that visionary light through this all. Uh, Thank now, you. I gotta, I gotta shout out though. Like that's, you know, that honestly, that's the easy part in all this. Like I've got all of our office, obviously our office staff is working from home, but our fulfillment team is still in there every single day. And they're absolutely frontline workers. Yep. They're in the warehouse inbound in the product from the farmer. So a huge shout out to the guys that are out packing the boxes for the people. That's awesome. When you look back at your journey of launching True Local into where it is today, is there a major growth milestone that really sticks out to you or just something that you celebrated that was truly a memorable moment in this journey? Yeah, it's funny. We had, uh, yeah, we had some, some crazy, crazy, crazy ups and downs. And I was just thinking before this, we had some crazy thing happen in November and it really had me sit back and look, I'm like, man, this is like a story. Like you can't write this stuff. You know what I mean? Like we're still not, we're obviously not the size of a Starbucks or anything like that, but I like to think that we're one of the smaller Canadian success stories in terms mm -hmm. of um, what we've done and, and you being, you know, a truly Canadian born and bred business. 
Um, and I think I'm like, man, they're, 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 they're like crazy. You wouldn't believe some of the stuff, the highs and the lows. And then of course, you know, COVID-19 hits and I'm like, that's it. This is a book. Like this is you like, like this is crazy. Like there's no way you could explain this to anybody, the highs, no. the lows, and then, Oh, by the way, a pandemic. Yep. So some of the growth milestones, the obvious ones, obviously Dragon's Den right off the bat, you know, Dragon's Den for us was an amazing opportunity to get the brand seen across the country. It was an amazing opportunity to get credibility and get um, validation from amazing entrepreneurs. So that obviously gave us a massive boost. But as you would know, if you talk to anybody who's been on Dragon's Den, that's a, a non-sustained spike. You get a spike yeah. and then it bounces back down. Yeah. Um, other major growth milestones for us, um, keto hit out of nowhere, um, you know, a couple of years ago. And that was obviously a huge driver for us. Obviously we do, you know, value added proteins. So a lot of people were mm -hmm. coming our way, expanding into the different provinces. So when we expanded yeah. into Alberta, that opened up an entire new market for us. Then into BC, another new, another new market as well. Team growth. Um, obviously, you know, we've been growing the team aggressively and every time we bring on another amazingly talented individual, there seems to be a certain spike, especially uh, in certain departments. So those are kind of the main milestones I can think of. Dragon's Den and then the, the market expansion were big, big growth milestones for us. Amazing. Um, oh, actually one more. We, we just recently, so you probably know this, but we just switched to hundred percent recyclable packaging. Yeah. So that was awesome because we obviously had a lot of people that would love shopping with us, but they were getting really tired of stacking their styrofoam boxes. So as soon as we made the switch to 100% recyclable, uh, we got a lot of people back and we got a lot of new people that were waiting for us to get there. That's awesome. I, I remember like many times I would post my box on Instagram stories and I would have people message me and they would say, is this recyclable? And I was always yeah. like, oh, <laughs> but I think this is like a true testament to you listening to your customers and the demands and continuing to evolve. Um, speaking of evolution, as a business owner, you're probably always learning, growing, up-leveling. So I'm wondering, is there a skill that you're currently focused on learning more about or just really trying to hone in on and perfect? Yeah. So for like my own skill set, like my skill set is definitely on the creative side um, and mm -hmm. digital marketing and digital strategy. I think I can really put strong brands together that have um, a message. Uh, I think I can do really good on the messaging side of things. So for my own personal skills, what I've been looking to get into more um, is actually on uh, uh, making uh, just data analytics. So really focusing on using some of these really powerful tech stacks to analyze all the, the data that we have and analyze metrics and, and work on retention and work on cost per acquisition and things like that. So that's what I've been personally working on and going to conferences for and whatnot. But that's such a, that's actually even more of a hobby than anything else because I don't actually use those skills in the business on a regular basis anymore. I work with my team to help develop the, the, those skills. My biggest uh, thing is trying to be a better leader. Honestly, I can't stress it enough. I've gone through every single phase. I've gone through the phases of being the doer, right? Packing the boxes, then putting the boxes in the truck and dropping them off to those homes and going to a trade show and working that same trade show on the same day I've done that I've done then the management right where it's like okay you know what I'm more into here let's put a plan together and let's execute that plan and then I've also in between then done done that transition of both where it's the doer to the manager phase which I think is a huge milestone for for entrepreneurs and operators then I've gone into the um I wouldn't call it networking but I guess I call it um like uh, outbound um relationship building actually you know whatever you want to call it but where you know even this is like about a year and a half ago, I was really, you know, once again, talking to the investors and talking to different suppliers and talking to executives and trying to learn more from people and build partnerships that way. And some of our biggest partnerships have come from things like that. You know, we've yeah. obviously just announced our partnership with WW, um, which is amazing for us. Um, and then now where my thing is most is, is once again, 
I think it's pure uh, leadership and direction and, and facilitating communication within the business. So for me, I get the most excited and I think I'm the most valuable to the business when I can put the right people together. So, hey, if someone's struggling with this, hey, well, you know, you need to reach out to this person and contact them and, and you know, within the team. And how do you do that? And it's so much easier said than done. You know, you've got people that um, either don't know that they're accessible or how do you contact them. So really trying to make sure that all of our departments have really clear communication and trying to lead and get everybody aligned. Um, which sounds so easy and it sounds like, Oh, just do it. But once mm -hmm. again, this is the most challenging part of my career. Um, after running this business for four years that I'm working on right now. So amazing. Yeah. Um, I have one final question that just came to mind. So I teach a lot of the students at the Canadian school of natural nutrition. I teach them their business course right before they graduate. And so many of them get hung up on choosing a business name and maybe yeah. they don't want to operate under their first and last name. So I would love to hear, how did you find the name True Local? How did you come up with this? Yeah. Oh, True Local, man. I actually hated <laughs> the name True Local. Um, True Local was actually the, I think it was probably the first name that I put on this, um, to be honest. And then from there, I was like, no, I don't like this. I want to switch it up. So before True Local was even a thing, we, I was just kind of like, you know, throwing around the, wor the word True Local. But then I, I literally still have a list in my phone of like 30 different names, like 30 different names I liked better. And yep. then none of them ended up panning out. And then I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna start, I'm just gonna start getting some logos drafted up on it. Mm -hmm. Ended up liking what I saw. And then, yeah, we did true local just stuck. And now I couldn't imagine, I could not imagine being anything other than true local. Yeah. But uh, for people that need advice on a name, look, if your biggest problem is the name, then you're not asking the right questions or you're not yeah. working on the right things, you know, <laughs> come up with a working name, you know, and then from there start actually figuring out what the business needs to do, but don't get hung up on a, a business name or a business mission or any of that type of stuff. Nothing matters more than execution. Yeah. Nothing, no theory, no nothing. Unless you're a, a pro brander and a pro marketer and you can put all the copy together and just slap it up there and do it really, really quick. Don't be in a situation where you're holding up the actual execution of your business. Um, you know, whether it be putting a business plan together, whether it be modeling out some um, pricing comparisons, whether it be finding suppliers, whether it be actually developing technology, whether it be uh, trying to raise funds, don't hold any of that back because you have a name. That will come as the process is, is evolving. Mm -hmm. Such great advice. Just get into action and don't spend like two years in isolation writing a plan when you should be out or behind your screen, yeah. actually fostering those relationships and, and finding customers. So I think that's yeah. really good advice. So where can people learn more about True Local uh, if they would love to grab their first box or just learn more about what you guys do? For sure. So especially with what's going on right now, we're 100% operating. Um, so if you guys are looking for some meat, some frozen product um, from local farmers, suppliers, butchers, fish, 100% grass-fed beef, you know, we have organic beef as well. We've got pretty much everything that you'll think of in the, in the meat department. Um, it's just, it's simple, www.truelocal.ca. So that's T-R-U-L-O-C-L. Uh, L-O-C-A-L. Wow. As if I messed that up. <laughs> .ca. Um, but yeah, you can go on there, check it out. You can browse whatever you want to browse. Um, we're always adding new products. Obviously right now um, we're focusing on getting boxes out the door to people. So mm -hmm. um, people are stocking up on the staples, but um, yeah, that's where you can find us. We're on Instagram as well. So T-R-U-L-O-C-A-L um, and YouTube, YouTube, Facebook, we're pretty much everywhere. So if you just Google us, you'll find us no problem. 
I'll link all that in the show notes. And I will say that the listeners, if you do subscribe to a box, you can look forward to those little handwritten notes and recipe cards that come in them. They always brighten my day. So thanks for being a part of just the cheery things that go on in my week. So thank you so much for your time today, Mark. And I can't wait to share this with all of our visionary listeners. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Kelsey. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis. So if you could help me out by rating and reviewing this show on your iTunes app, I would be so grateful. You can also support the show by taking a quick screenshot of the episode and sharing it on your Instagram stories. Just make sure to tag me at Kelsey Rydell. If you're feeling stuck, uninspired, stagnant, bored, or confused in what your next step should be, it's time to take action. Please reach out because I would love to connect with you. I'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis, so it would mean so much to me if you could help me out by rating and reviewing the show in your iTunes app. You can also support the show by taking a quick screenshot of the episode and sharing it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Kelsey Rydell. I'll catch you in the next episode. P.S. Whenever you're ready, there's a couple of ways that I can support you. So first thing, if you're ready to make your first or next $50,000 in business, explore how the Visionary Method Business Coaching Experience can accelerate your growth. There'll be a link in the show notes. Also, if you're feeling lost, confused, or overwhelmed when it comes to starting an online business, reach out and book a free revision call with me. I'll offer you customized recommendations on how to get unstuck so you can live a life filled with joy, happiness, and fulfillment.